Dus, good morning. Um, with my Dutch accent, I feel that I really fit in here. Uh, usually the first question when I enter the church, you have an accent, but this time, no question asked. Thank you for the very nice welcome and for the good breakfast. Um, what I want to share with you this morning is uh, briefly something about the history of Puritan Reform, that you have an idea where the seminary came from and where we are at this moment, and maybe a little bit where are we going, the current situation, and in particular about a new program that we hope to launch uh, in the fall that could be uh, beneficial maybe for men that are called to ministry. Because that is very important with us. When we talk about seminary, I think for every vocation we need a calling. But when the Lord calls us in his service, we need to know that. I mean, the seminary is not just an academic place to uh, gain head knowledge. We hope, and that is a part of the admission process, that uh, the Lord, that we know that the Lord has called you into his service. Because as Persian reminds his students in his time, uh, he asked the question, can, can you be a baker? And he said, if a student would say, yeah, I can be a baker. He said, go, run, be the best baker, but never be a pastor. Meaning, if there is nothing else in your life, but you have this conviction, you have to preach the gospel. There's nothing else. When, that, when the Lord plays that call in your life, that you cannot escape it. You, you only see impossibilities. You only see impossibilities. But when the Lord calls, he also equips. And that is where the seminary may contribute something to the formation of say, the next generation of a pastor. There's not only the seminary. Never forget that the Lord himself teaches his children, future pastors, by word and spirit, first and foremost. That is a work of the heart. And as seminary, we hope to contribute something of the head and the heart and the hands, uh, and I think the Lord has, has given the church uh, the task to uh, teach a next generation of pastors, preachers, and teachers. There's a calling of the church as well. A great privilege, but also an enormous responsibility as church, and the Free Reformed Church, the Heritage Reformed Church, the, the church calling of the church to train the next generation of pastors, preachers, and teachers. But first and foremost, that the man that is called into ministry, that is a work of the Lord. And he works that by word and spirit. And in that way, the seminary may contribute, come alongside in the training of this pastor, preacher or teacher. 
Now, as you may recall something of the history, in 1995, the Heritage Reform denomination decided to begin a seminary, and they called Dr. Bicky to be the instructor. Very soon, the Free Reformed Church uh, joined the seminary and appointed Dr. Bilkus, Dr. Jerry Bilkus, um, and they are, the, say, the original instructors of the seminary. The focus was primarily the training for pastoral ministry, and for that we have the so-called Master of Divinity, meaning you need to have a bachelor or a bachelor equivalent uh, degree uh, before you go to the, say, consistory, uh, the, the Theological Education Committee, the TEC, in the case of the Free Reformed Church, to be admitted to the study at the seminary in Grand Rapids. So the main focus, and that is still today, is the Master of Divinity program. Not just for uh, American pastors or Canadian pastors, but worldwide. And that's at the seminary quite a, uh, apart from any other seminaries in North America. We are a very international place. And the brothers here, from Maurek and uh, uh, Overdown can attest to that. Uh, it's a very international place, uh, Puritan Reformed Seminary. We train not only men from North America, but also South America, the Far East, Africa, and other places as well. The seminary over the last 25 years has grown. Uh, currently, we have about 200 alumni, pastors, preachers, teachers in 20 different countries around the world. Uh, currently, we have 250 students in a diversity of programs that I will address in a minute from about 15 different countries. So it is a very international place. But in the admission policy, in the admission um, requirements. We hope as seminary, as faculty, that we will not compromise on this aspect of calling. We like to see that in their application, the references that we receive, the discussions that we have, sometimes personal interviews with the applicant or with their pastors or with their elders, so that we do not compromise on this calling. Now, what said then Puritan Reformed uh, uh, a part in the seminary world, eh, because maybe you have heard there's a seminary in Philadelphia called Westminster Theological Seminary or Greenville Presbyterian Seminary in the Carolinas or uh, Mid-America, primarily for the United Reformed Church in, uh, in Chicago. We have four components in the training of pastors, uh, preachers and teachers. That is biblical, reformed, experiential, and practical. Now, what do we mean with that? Biblical, we as seminaries still believe that the uh, Old and the New Testament are the word of God, is the inspired word of God. And that is not always accepted, but we stress that with the confessions, that it is the living word of the living God speaking to living people. Reformed, we want to stand in, say, two traditions, the Reformed tradition as such, the Puritan tradition represented with the Westminster standards, the Westminster 
catechism, confession, and the continental reform tradition, particularly the Dutch tradition, what we call the three forms of unity, the Belgian Confessional Faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. Those two are, they say, the confessional foundation of the seminary. So biblical, the basis, confessional, experiential. And that in itself, besides the international aspect, sets the seminary really apart in the seminary world, in the reformed seminary world in North America. What do we mean with this experiential character? We believe and we hope that we always teach that also in the class, that when we teach theology, it is not just a matter of the head, a transfer of academic knowledge, and a transfer of content, but that is also a matter of the heart. That is experience, the truth that the Lord gives in his word, that there are truths that are experienced by word and spirit in the heart. So it is not a kind of a mysticism. Sometimes the word experiential is not always clear. It is not a mysticism, kind of an extraordinary revelation. No. The Lord reveals himself in his word, who he is, and also who we are by nature, and have sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the only way of salvation. But brothers, have we experienced that? Do we know there is a God in heaven who hears the cries of his people? Do we know what sin is, not sin in general concept? But have learned by grace, I am a sinner before God. And have we tasted seen something of that salvation to take refuge in that finished and complete work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not just a dogmatic handbook to describe that. But by grace is experienced in the heart. That is something that we understand by experiential theology. Not just a matter of the head, but also by word and spirit is worked in the heart. And then practical, head, heart, and hands. How does that function, that theological training, in pastoral uh, situations, in practical theology, what in catechism teaching, in, uh, in pastoral visits, uh, in counseling people. So how, how does that take place in a practical way in the life of the congregation? And those things, uh, by God's grace, we teach at the Puritan Reformed Seminary. So that is what we do primarily in the MDiv program. 
the Master of Divinity program for the pastoral ministry. Now, as the seminary grew over the last 25 years, there was, the name became more known. Dr. Bicky travels a lot, does a lot of conferences. Uh, the seminary became more and more known, so people start to ask for different programs. Can you also teach other programs than just only for the pastoral, uh, the pastoral track? Now, the Board of Trustees, with which consists out of members, delegates from the Heritage Reformed congregations and the Free Reformed churches. Uh, the Board of Trustees always emphasized that the MDiv program, the pastoral ministry track, is the heart of the seminary. And we hope that we can keep that. And, and, uh, one of the new ways that I will explain in a minute I think could, could help us to, to maintain and keep going on that phase. But uh, there were, for example, alumni in, uh, back in Africa. They said, well, this was all very helpful. I'm now a pastor in my church in Malawi, but I really feel I need more training. So for that, we created another master program, a second master program that is called the THM program. That is, uh, pastors can uh, advance their studies say, biblical studies or systematic theology or historical theology and gain more knowledge and practice that they can use in their ministry context. Uh, but then we got uh, some of the alumni said, look, I am back in my country, say, in, uh, in Brazil, and uh, I'm uh, pastoring this church, but now they asked me to teach also in, in my small seminary down the road. But I, I need training for that. So for that, we created the PhD program, the doctoral program that trains uh, men for uh, teaching positions. And we do that in biblical studies, systematic theology, and, uh, and historical theology. Now, with that, uh, that is a very academic track, the PhD program, the doctoral program. Uh, some pastors said, look, I, I, I like to advance my studies, but I don't have the time to really undertake an academic study for, say, five, six years. Can I do kind of a blended environment that I can stay in my ministry context, still continue my studies, uh, and in particular maybe around preaching or other topics, and for that, we, two years ago, we created the Doctor of Ministry program in homiletics. That is a program that focuses particularly on preaching, uh, where uh, pastors stay in their uh, ministry context, and from time to time they come to seminary for courses, and then they have to write a, teacher, a thesis, which is specifically designed for uh, preaching, to advance, to help them in their preaching, just the Doctor of Ministry program. And then last not but least, this year, Dr. Kelderman, the Dean of Students, with Dr. Kranendonk, they are the Dean of Students, they say the pastoral care for our students, by Dr. Kelderman and Dr. Kranendonk. Uh, Dr. Kelderman has started the master uh, program in biblical counseling. Now that program uh, is then also open to women uh, because uh, we believe that many women in congregations 
have the skills to counsel people. And uh, biblical counseling is a program that assists men and women in advancing their knowledge and their expertise and their practice of biblical counseling. So at this moment we have the general master program, uh, then we have the pastoral track, the MDiv program, the THM, the DMIN, the Doctor of Ministry, and the PhD uh, program. But one thing always uh, is on the mind of the Board of Trustees and also of the faculty, that is the cost of education. To study at the seminary is an expensive exercise to keep the building going, to keep a faculty of 11 full-time residential faculty in place, plus a supporting staff. We are now close to 42 people at the seminary to assist the students. So the cost of education should go down, we feel. Um, and for that, we have begun to... Uh, to decentralize the THM program, eh, that second master program where pastors advance their studies, to be more useful in the church, so to say. Uh, we have decentralized that not only from the Grand Rapids campus, but we have now five global campuses with strategic partnerships, other seminaries, like-minded seminaries in the world. So that students in Brazil, they can study in Brazil, the THM program, same program, our professors go there and teach there. Uh, we have one in Taiwan for the Chinese-speaking world, one in Egypt for the Arabic-speaking world, and one in London and one in South Africa for the uh, English-speaking world. South Africa, for example, Mukanyo Theological College, maybe that name rings a bell, under the leadership of Dr. De Vries. Uh, they have the THM program of Puritan Reformed. And that is very helpful uh, because uh, over the last, say, 10 years, a number of students from southern Africa, say Malawi, came to Grand Rapids. Now, just to give you an idea, most of the times they want to take their family with them. Wife, children, they have to move from Malawi to the United States. That is dollars. Then they need a visa, which is becoming more and more difficult to get in. Then they need living cost in Grand Rapids. So if you see the whole picture, there's a quite expensive exercise. Now, by decentralizing that, and we have the same THM program of purity reformed in Mukonyo, at Mukonyo Theological College, where 50% of the courses uh, are taught by the, uh, by the Mukonyo faculty, and 50% is taught by the Puritan Reformed faculty. The same program is offered now in Pretoria, and the Malawi students, they can hop on the bus in Malawi, and seven hours later they are in Pretoria taking their course. Cost. Meaning, the pastor, the THM student, remains in his ministry context in Malawi, don't have to move his family uh, to the United States with all uh, sometimes consequences of that. And uh, he is not out of his congregation for, say, three or four years. And the cost is about 20% uh, of the cost compared to coming to Grand Rapids. 
So that is what we mean by the global campus. We want to distribute that. And the same we are going to do for the MA. There's a general Master of Theology program. We are going to roll this out in the next 12 months in 15 different countries around the world with small seminaries that came to PRTS. Can you help us to, to help us in our uh, seminary education so to train pastors in Hungary, train pastors in Serbia, train pastors in Portugal and in different places around the world. And the MA online program we roll out in 15 different countries. Now, um, before I go to, the, I think, the most imp one of the most important things that is on the horizon, the so-called church embedded uh, program. But a little bit about the faculty before I move there. We have 11 members of faculty. I mentioned already Dr. Joe Obiki and Dr. Jerry Bilkus, the most uh, senior in terms of time spent at the seminary. Then we have Old Testament Dr. Barrett. Dr. Michael Barrett is the Old Testament professor. He was for years, for the last 10 years, the academic dean. That is the person that keeps the whole faculty in check and uh, keeps uh, watch over the curricula, uh, what has been taught, the course content. Uh, Dr. Barrett turned recently 72, so he asked the board to be relinquished from his academic deanship for 10 years. Usually, an academic dean serves between three and five years, so he outspends every other academic dean. We are very grateful for him, uh, uh, what he accomplished as academic dean. And he moved into a senior research professorship where he continued to teach and also to continue to write books on the Old Testament. So that's Dr. Barrett. Then we have Dr. Jonathan Bickey. He became the academic dean and he is also professor in historical theology. Then we have Dr. Kuivenhoven. He uh, teaches church history. He was the pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, but is now full-time at the seminary teaching church history, primarily to the MDiv program. Dr. Kranadonk, that I mentioned already, he is in historical theology and he is the dean of students with Dr. Kelderman. Dr. Kelderman Dean of Students and uh, is responsible for biblical counseling. Then we have another new hire, Dr. Bruce Boggers. He is for systematic theology and apologetics. Dr. Meyers is a professor of uh, historical theology and systematic theology. And then Dr. Timmer is biblical studies, particularly for the doctoral program, and then myself. Now, we are in kind of a transition in this last past, this past year in terms of leadership. Uh, up to last year, Dr. Joe Obiki, Dr. Barrett, and Mr. Hank Klein were the executives of the seminary leading the seminary. Uh, Mr. Klein retired this past year. Dr. Barrett moved into a senior research professorship so the new executive team is Dr. Joe Bicky as president, then Dr. Bilkus, Dr. Jonathan Bicky as academic dean, and then myself 
as vice president and professor of homiletics and historical theology. Dr. Bicke asked the Board of Trustees last year to uh, be a relinquish of the daily operations, that he can focus on more writing. Well, if you have written over 100 books and you want to still write more, go ahead. Um, that is Dr. Bicke. He works, I think, 20 hours a day or something like that. But no, um, Dr. Bicke asked that he could be the linguist of the daily operation, so I'm running the seminary, um, and I have, I have a business background, so that is not too difficult. And then I also full-time teach in the doctoral programs in homiletics and historical theology. So we have one open position at this moment, a critical position, New Testament. New Testament... Um, is a critical position in the sense of, in scholarship in the New Testament, there are all kinds of new ideas floating around which we don't want to see in the seminary. And then you see this, this fourfold approach in which the seminary distinguishes itself in the seminary world. Biblical, reform, experience, and practical. That is also what we expect from the faculty. So in your hiring process, it is not just the academic qualifications that an applicant for a professor of New Testament presents his uh, resume and all glorious books, which is fine and that is very good. But we listen particularly to his sermons or his pastoral experience, to the experiential character. And yes, sometimes that can be subjective, but we always ask with the board of trustees, board of trustees, that the Lord give us discernment to hire the next professor. Because, friends, I have to say one thing: to work at Purity Reform Seminary is an incredible, incredible privilege. Um, this is my first seminary. I was in business life before, then for about 15. 13 years in the secular universities around the world. And to work at a place like Puritan Reformed is an extremely privilege to do. But it is also an incredible responsibility. Because as faculty, as teachers, as instructors, you are entrusted with the next generation of pastors and preachers and teachers. Do you understand? When those men go out in the congregations, they have been trained at the seminary. Yeah, they, they have been told by the Lord. That first and foremost. But when you see sometimes in your class men in their 30s, early 40s, and they go out to preach the gospel. They begin to feel the responsibility in teaching as well. So, also as faculty, we always ask that we remain as students in the school of Christ as well. And therefore, 
you are far out, I mean, in my uh, estimation here in Alberta, but your prayers and your support in whatever way that is to the seminary is greatly, greatly appreciated. That we know as faculty that we are carried by the prayers of the churches of God's people. That means a lot to us. So know that you are much appreciated also by the seminary community. And I thank you for the invitation to come and to say a few words and to preach tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, because in the vision of the new executive team, it's very clear to foster, to nurture this connection with the churches is extremely important also for the future. That you feel connected with the seminary. Yeah, you are busy with the things of... Uh, the things and the vocations you do here in Alberta, but that you feel connected, that you feel the weight that you as congregation are involved, prayers, financially, otherwise, to train a next generation of men that maybe will preach in Brazil or in China, uh, and maybe you will never meet their congregations. But sometimes you have that glimpse eh, also at the seminary because of this enormous international character. What a day that will be. And the Lord calls us home or he comes back and he gathers his people from the north and the south, from Alberta, from Michigan, from other places. And to see a multitude that through the feeble work of the seminary and your participation in it by prayer, financially, otherwise, that that is the way the Lord has built his kingdom. And that is the great privilege to be involved in the teaching ministry of the seminary. So... One last thing that I, and then I open it uh, for for questions. Uh, One initiative that we are going to launch in the coming 12 months is so-called Church Embedded Education. We have wrestled with this. We we have decentralized the THM program, uh, five global campuses. We are going to roll out the MA online program in 15 different countries. But what about the Master of Divinity, about the pastoral, the training for pastors, the training for preachers? How do we do this? Do we continue as we, 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 we have done it, say, for the last hundred years? That is the MDiv program, that you, you come to seminary, you take courses, uh, and then apparently when you graduate, you can be called as pastor. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do an internship from compliments, but then you are qualified as a pastor. Uh, what you see, usually see, and I'm not, I think, uh, saying something new, it will for the brothers here uh, from Auric and, uh, and Overdyne, it will be time of an adjustment. Yeah? They come out of the seminary context, they did internship, but now they're coming in the, 
say the real life, the, eh, the congregation. So they need time to adjust. But also you as congregation, you need to adjust. Who is this young guy? He, he was trained far away in Michigan, and now he's here. And all stuff with knowledge, or a little bit more than that, but how is he going to function? So you, you will have a time, uh, call it the honeymoon, for some it takes longer. Some. For us as faculty, always is a question, how can, we, how can we bridge that in a way that the adjustment time for the student, for the new minister, and for the congregation can be as smooth as possible? Okay? That's one. Second, can we get the cost of education down? Three, one thing that the whole pandemic situation has told us, the leverage of technology. Because the seminary in Canadapis was well equipped and is well equipped with technology. So when the pandemic hit, within two days, we switched completely the teaching to online. Okay, we built some experience, uh, how this online teaching is going, experience for the teacher, experience for the student, but we, we, we learned that live stream teaching actually can be done. Uh, meaning that student does not have to be on campus for three or four years. Maybe we can think about a hybrid model. Sometimes being on campus, but leave him in a ministry context. Maybe leave him in his congregation. Secondly, if we are intensely about the connection of the seminary and the church, what to leave a student in a congregation context would be ideal, because then you see the real life of the congregation. You have a pastor there, an experienced pastor, hopefully, that can guide a student. So this idea of a church-embedded education started to grow. And then we decided something very strategically. First of all, we said, okay, maybe we should offer the MDIF program, the, 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 the track for pastoral ministry training, instead of only on campus, which will remain, so we are not going to change that. That will be an option for people to pursue. But if we take that program and we, we, we structure it in such a way that students can also, as an alternative, can stay in their congregation. So they don't have to move as families, even in North America. But they can stay in the congregation. From time to time, they have cohort meetings with other students and faculty from time to time. But they follow the course live stream or online. And their pastor is becoming a mentor, a spiritual mentor. And we take the say, academic and spiritual side as well. That shirt and bed model could be maybe an alternative for people that feel called to ministry, but don't see themselves moving to Grand Rapids for three or four years, and let alone the cost that is involved for a denomination, if it is a denominational student. Uh, maybe that is a way to uh, implement the MDIF program in another way 
as we have done it for the last couple of years. Now, statistically, what we decided, so, okay, we are going to structure the MDIF program in such a way that we can offer a church embedded education. And secondly, uh, we will uh, go to the Lilly Foundation. There's a large foundation that funds from time to time projects and ask that they can come along and help us also to explore this model and how we have to implement it. And recently we got a grant from the Lilly Foundation because the Lilly Foundation said, this is a very interesting idea that you have proposed. This is somewhat new in the seminary world in general, but particularly also for the reformed world. So we are coming alongside with a million dollar grant to test this concept out. So now we have the money, we have the ideas, and in fact, we can start. Now, what does that concretely mean? Students go through the same admission process. We don't compromise on that. So this aspect of calling remains. But the offering of the courses, the offering of the instruction, is not just only in Grand Rapids from time to time, but takes primarily place uh, online, and live stream. For example, if we offer a course at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning in Grand Rapids, you can open your computer at 9 o'clock and you're part of the classroom in Grand Rapids. So you have students in the classroom in Grand Rapids and you're sitting here in Alberta and be part of that same setting of the classroom when, for example, Dr. Bilkers is teaching hermeneutics. Um, and then maybe from time to time you have to come to Grand Rapids for for specific meetings. But then we want to also to partner with the pastor. So, okay, pastor, are you interested to mentor this student in your congregation? And we will provide training for the pastor how to be a mentor um, to, to come alongside this brother that is called to the ministry. And then the third and most visible part is the partnering partnering with the local congregation. Because now they say, ah, we have a, a, a seminary student in a congregation. Actually, we partner with the, uh, with the seminary in that way. So that is what we hope uh, that will be rolled out. Dr. Bilkers is uh, responsible for this project. We were fortunate to hire a uh, project manager, a well-qualified uh, project manager, uh, elder Bill Tees from the Kalamazoo Reformed Church, um, a man with a lot of experience in uh, managing large projects. And uh, so he is uh, assisting us. And with uh, Dr. Kranadonk, uh, those three are leading this initiative now of church embedded education. So, for example, let me be very concrete. If there are men here in this congregation, or Pixie Butte, or Calgary, or otherwise, that, uh, let me put it this way, they struggle with the call to the ministry. Uh, first of all, that is something between you and the Lord. We can listen to you, but we cannot decide for you. It is something between you and the Lord. But if we can, if we may come alongside in the training for pastoral ministry, this is maybe something that is that you can consider as options. I can go to Grand Rapids or I can stay in Alberta. You get the same quality of education, you get the same professors, 
you get the same mentors. Uh, in the end of the day, you get the same degree, a credited degree of Puritan Reformed. Um, so that is something for you to consider. We, I have discussed it with the TEC, the Theological Education Committee of the Free Reformed Church. They are very, very positive and behind this idea. Uh, more meetings need to take place to make it, uh, make it uh, functional. But uh, th this is just now a new option uh, that we can offer as seminary, this church embedded education that people can stay in their congregation context and the seminary comes alongside for the training with the pastor and the congregation and say, we, by God's grace, we do this together. Instead of sending a man to Grand Rapids, and then we don't see him for four, three or four years, and then supposedly he is a pastor. So, and we hope that that church embedded model will help to bridge for students to acclimate, to adjust in the congregation, but also that congregation see, aha, we have seen this man grown, not only in in the knowledge of the Lord, but also in pastoral aspects to be a pastor, to be a preacher. And yes, when he receives a call to another congregation or to the congregation itself, we know who this man is. And, um, and so be of service in God's kingdom and to the churches as a seminary. So for now, I will leave it uh, and maybe... If there are questions, then we can discuss questions. Yeah. Uh, uh. That is fine. <coughs> Just a moment.
Yeah. Uh, re regarding your last proposal, um, having the student stay at home in their congregations, I think it's a very positive step forward. Um, I do have some questions, though. Um, you mentioned that you will have a training program for uh, his pastor. That concerns me a bit. Um, the load, workload of a pastor is already... Uh, large enough um, to add this if he has a student under his care um, adds more to his workload is it possible maybe to uh, find qualified elders and use them instead or include them um, that's one question I have uh, the next one is the social aspect of a student going to um, seminary I am quite confident that when you talk to a student or a candidate that the first thing they will tell you uh, the four years they spend there has been not only beneficial for their spiritual well-being but also for their social well-being uh, being able to uh, interact with uh, fellow students from the same denomination but also from other denominations it's a learning process and when you stay at home, uh, so it has pros and cons. Uh, so those are some of the questions I have. How is the seminary going to deal with that? Uh, you can go to seminary maybe every couple of months or, or whatever the requirements are. But um, this is a very important part of the studies, this four years. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. These are very important questions. Uh, questions that uh, have been raised since uh, actually I'm talking in the congregations. My first response is it is not for every congregation that it is possible. So uh, don't walk away, away here. Oh, now as Monarch or Pixie Butte or Calgary congregation, we are obliged now, it is mandatory that we take a student on. No. So not, not for every uh, congregation. Uh, it will fit. Secondly, not every pastor is in a position to do. This idea that you propose of an elder is a very interesting one. Why? We just had um, Dr. Uh, yeah, now Dr. Uh, David Lipsy, the pastor in Burkersville. He just fa finished his doctor of ministry, particularly focused on elder training. And it has been raised in Ontario as a possibility, uh, should we not go the direction to train more elders, and they come alongside with the faculty of PRTS and, and roll this church embedded idea out in this way. So that is under consideration uh, currently as we speak. The third thing is a very important thing that the initial or the Preliminary feedback that, I, that we have received from, for example, the TSC from the Heritage Denomination, as well the TEC, both feel that 
een year or two years on campus should be mandatory for every student. For this reason, the international setting and a very interdenominational setting. We are not training just pastors for the HRC or the FRC. We have the URC, we have the OPC, we have the PCA. Uh, the brothers over there, they can list a whole uh, more season, ours and season, uh, and not just from North America, but Malawi and Brazil and other places, which is very fruitful in the shaping of becoming a pastor, not just having a local view, but almost a global view. So that are some of the things that are on the table to be worked out. Yeah, yeah. Very, very valid concerns. And uh, Dr. Bilkes and I, we are toying with the idea maybe in the spring next year to bring a number of elders, pastors from various denominations to the seminary and really flesh this out before we really kick it off. Yeah. But thank you very much for thinking this way. Yeah. Another example, just to illustrate, uh, of a congregation that is ready to do something like that, and a pastor that is qualified and willing to do it, was the whole congregation in Iowa. Small congregation, uh, they, they, they have a house always available, for when, you, when you are there, a house that students can live with their families. Uh, small in size that, uh, that can add another, say, family in their congregation. And a pastor is qualified to be a mentor and has the time because he has a small congregation. And that is uh, when we propose it to this congregation, they immediately says, told us, send, send the next mentors. And the pastor said, yeah, I'm willing to do it. I, and, I, and he has the experience. But again, it's not for every congregation, not for every pastor. The elder, thank you very much. Yeah, it is on the table. Other questions? Yeah. Could you perhaps elaborate a little bit more on the, uh, the Master in Religion program? Yeah. Sorry, I'll repeat that one. Uh, could you perhaps elaborate a little bit more on the Masters of Religion program? So how is how are the curriculums the curricula uh, designed? Say uh, let's take the MDiv program for pastoral ministry. Yeah? So it consists of ten courses, but five of those courses has nothing to do directly with pastoral ministry in terms of uh, how to catechize, how to preach, uh, biblical counseling, those type of things, the systematic theology, church history. So what we have done, and that, that is by accreditation rules, you can do that. You take out that block of, say, non-direct pastoral, pastoral courses, and that is the Master of Art in Religion. It's your, your general theological training. Say, for men and also women that, uh, that are interested to advance their knowledge in systematic theology or biblical theology or historical theology, or, uh, yeah, those three. And uh, you can go through a two-year program full-time 
to take those courses, and then you have a master uh, arts in uh, religious, in general theological training, where you advance your knowledge in uh, the training. And that the courses you take are usually shared with the MDiv students as well. Uh, uh, and that whole program, we we have captured in an online format. And what we, our understanding online is this. You can take it, those courses in an asynchronous way, meaning you take the course when you have time and when you can finish the assignments when you have time. So you do it on your own pace to get through the program. You still have faculty oversight. Usually there's a PhD, program, a PhD student involved in the, say, regular communication concerning assignments. But the professor that teaches the course, like for example, uh, Dr. Kranendong on, uh, on uh, ecclesiology, his course is online format. He is still responsible for that course and he will be in contact if needed with the student uh, as well. Now that, that model, we are rolling out the MA online in uh, two ways, in, an, uh, in pure online, so you take the courses online uh, and there's further that not direct, uh, say, involvement in the seminary's life. Although we, we are thinking, uh, based on the inquiries that we have received so far, uh, when we are going to roll out the MA online, that say if uh, in, in, in Alberta there would be 10 students that, that are doing the program, from time to time a faculty member will come out and bring them those 10 students together as a cohort and discuss those things as well. But we like to offer it as purely online, so you do it at your own pace, or in hybrid that you can do also live streams. Okay, I, uh, I, uh, I have a semester and uh, Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock, I, I have some time. I will take this class online, a live stream. So when say, uh, Dr. Kuivenhoven is teaching his church history class, uh, you just participate in his class as well, which is part of the MAR, uh, Master of Arts of Religion. And the Master of Arts of Religion is sometimes a helpful uh, program. Uh, let me... I don't want to talk about myself, but maybe this is a good illustration how it can work. Uh, for a long time, I, I think the Lord placed a call for ministry in my life when I was in business. But I really did not see myself to become a pastor. It was, was an insurmountable mountain for me. I, I just could not do it, the responsibility. But the, the call came back, the call came back. So in the end of the day, I started with an MA in religion. So if it is the Lord's way, and I still remember when I started to study Hebrew and Greek, I did it with great fear and trembling. Uh, am I going my own way or is it the Lord's way? But it was a process of discernment. And over time, uh, I, I started to discover maybe I have teaching gifts more than pastoral ministry. And so it was a long discernment. So, so the MA is, is also a very helpful tool to help men that are called as a discerning process. 
We have seen students at the seminary that begin with an MA for very similar reasons that I just explained. And then in this third, the, the second year, they say, no, I'm really called to pastoral ministry. And then they switch to the MDiv. They have not lost anything because they take the same courses. And then they finish with the MDiv program. Does that answer the question? Okay. Okay, well, let's say I'm a farmer or a shepherd and I feel a call to the ministry, but I haven't completed high school. Would these online courses facilitate uh, the uh, remedial work I would need to get me up to speed for thinking clearly, logically, expressing myself clearly, being able to do effective research? Uh, obviously, uh, most colleges and universities would have a prerequisite of completing high school or in your case perhaps even having two years of university or college uh, so are these online programs designed to also meet the bridging needs of people who may not have been in a college or university environment you know there may be many uh, people uh, of this type as well I will answer it in two ways. The first, that is more an uh, admission issue, meaning that the admission committee say, uh, someone say, I have a high school diploma, or even did not, uh, but this is my whole life experience. These are the recommendations from elders, from the pastor, that maybe I should consider this study. Then the admission committee make an assessment, that is an assessment, and they say, okay, we can allow you to begin the MA study subject to the following things. And that is maybe you have to do a course on philosophy. Okay. Or something else. And those courses you can take locally. And when you have those credits, you let us know. Uh, and then under those conditions, the admission committee can decide to admit you into the MA program. Because what, what is then uh, the, the terminology that is used that uh, is uh, a bachelor degree or equivalent life experience. That is the terminology. So that's one way to come in. Another way is some of the MA courses that we have uh, are just offered standalone. You are not in a degree program. You can take just the course as it is. And that is what we sometimes do with students from overseas that we don't know well enough. And we say, what is the education level? They say, take this course. You go to the same course, do the same assignments, get feedback from the professor. If you pass that course well, so that's interesting, do another course. So, I mean, after three courses, we have a sense Okay, this is the academic level, how this person can handle courses that we offer. And that could be a lead-in into the MA. Yeah? Does that answer? Yeah. Okay. Good. But uh, I have to say, uh, compared to other seminaries, and uh, yeah, I'm a little biased here, but our register admission committee are very helpful people. They work with, you are not a number. Every application... Brothers, when we have an admission committee, first is a prayer session where we lay out literally 
all the applications on the table before the Lord. This is a weighty decision. There are men that apply that feel, that believe they have a calling to ministry. Who, who are we to make a decision? Did, did you understand the weight? Um, when I came to Puritan Reform Seminary in 2015 to, uh, for, for a year as a, as a consultant to help the doctoral program, there were two admission committees a year with about 35 applications. Now, every month, and we have to deal with over 40 applications per month. So, it's a very weighty decision. You are not a number when you apply by Purity Reformed. You are, you, people interview, people will talk to you. Because for us, it is also a discernment. Who are we if we say reject an applicant and the Lord has called that person? And who are we to accept a person that the Lord said, I don't know anything about this? You, you see the weight? No. But uh, thank you for asking. Yeah, over there. Yeah, to do the study of uh, Master Divinity, uh, we, we consisted about it. How long will it take roughly uh, online, like in time span? I like the full study. A full study? Yeah. Full-time study in the Master of Divinity? Uh, the Master of Divinity is not offered online. Um, the MA portion can be offered online. But the MDiv, uh, all the other courses, say pastoral counseling, preaching, and so that, that has to be done in, in a different setting than online. So if you say, I want to do a combination... Uh, I take the MA portion of the MDiv program online, which can apply to the MDiv. But then your preaching courses, your counseling courses, they are in class sessions or in the, high, in the church and better situation. Yeah. How long? I don't know, brothers. How, 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 yeah, sorry, I, I never had those brothers in, in my class. So, uh, uh, you did three, four years? Three and a half years? Average age. Average age. Jeff, yeah? yeah? Okay. Three and a half. Uh, yes. Yeah. And also, for, from that point of view, each student is unique. Meaning, we as seminary are not saying you have to finish in three years. We, are have, we have to say by accreditation that you have to finish your study within five years, reasonably. But if there is family circumstances or things that you, and you have to take a break. We, 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 we can work with students with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh. As Dr. Neely, this is not so much a, a question as a comment. Uh, I'm on the TEC for many years uh, of our churches. And I want to say how much we are thankful to the Lord for PRTS. And you know that from us, but I want to say that here in this body as well. And from this morning's presentation, just four things come to mind that I want to highlight. One is the faithfulness of the seminary up to this point. Church history demonstrates and proves that often error and heresy comes in the church by way of seminary. And you know that and the seminary staff knows that. And we rejoice that the present seminary staff is very 
much realizing this danger and saying, Lord, keep us faithful. Keep us faithful. And as churches, that's our prayer. And we rejoice at PRTS being faithful at this point. And secondly, I want to say, I so appreciate your humility because that's related to being faithful. The, the seminary will not prosper in faithfulness if it loses its humble dependency on the Lord. And that's our prayer as churches and as TEC and as myself as a pastor, that our seminary where our students attend stay humble, always dependent on the Lord. Um, he builds the church. He sends out his men. He equips his men. He uses seminaries for that in his good pleasure. Then the third thing I want to say is how I appreciate your vision. You're visionary. You're not stuck in the mud. You're open to changes. You show a passion, not just you personally, but as a seminary. Uh, how can we uh, help the church around the world and our two federations also to um, educate students who are brought to us and to spread the good news of the word and to be instruments in God's hand. So may God continue to give you vision and, and to bless that. And the fourth thing I want to say is how important that we as churches and as individuals pray much for you. Um, we know you pray for us as churches, but as churches we pray much for you um, and for the staff. And in connection with that, we pray for more men for the ministry. You emphasize, rightly so, the importance of calling to the ministry. And we've been blessed. In the West now, God willing, every church will have a pastor. Mm. That's wonderful news. Mm -hmm. When I became emeritus, I said in my speech at Synod, my prayer is, before I die, that every church in our federation, and in both our federations, mm -hmm. will have a pastor. Mm. And maybe not even one, but in some cases two. And that there will be more church plants, etc., etc., because the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. That's not just words that Jesus once spoke; that continues throughout the ages till the last day. So, with more comment than question, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for this encouragement. Well, the. Uh the new biblical counseling course, will that be offered online at all or partially? Yeah. The planning is as follows. Um, the, when we announced the, the biblical counseling uh, track, uh, we were flooded by applications. Um, so we limited it to 15 students for the first year. And Dr. Kelderman wants to do one or two years of testing the program and uh, intensive discussions with students before we come to do online. Um, there will be online aspects. It does not mean that you have to come to campus uh, all the time. Uh, but but counseling is a particular track how to handle that in an online setting. So eventually, yes, but not now. Uh, we have to learn a lot, and we know there are other programs out there. But uh, although the seminary growth, I mean, we have 250 students, uh, about uh, 
three years ago we put a seminary on a strategic plan, um, realizing that the Lord has to send us men and women, but we are on a growth path to 400 in the next couple of years. Uh, but we are not driven by the numbers. And also in this regard, uh, we say online will be important for biblical counseling, particularly the vision that Dr. Kelderman has. And I think it's a very intriguing vision. He did his uh, Doctor of Ministry degree on this, not only designing a new curriculum for biblical counseling, but designing in such a way that uh, men and women in the congregation can be trained to be of, uh, to be of assistance to elders and pastors in the congregation. So to have counselors in your congregation. And brothers, I, I don't know Alberta, and I don't know your congregation, but I think it is not much to say. We live in a, in a time, particularly when you look to our young people, say uh, 16 to uh, 20, that age group. I mean, the high level of anxieties and worries and insecurities and all those type of things. I mean, as just pastors... We cannot handle it. Just as elders, I think we cannot handle it. So the more help that we can get, but that is embedded in the congregation, that there is a person of confidence that people can talk and no gossip can talk. I think it's very important. And that vision Dr. Kelman really has described in his dissertation that he wants to roll out in the biblical counseling program. It takes time. Yeah. Not satisfying answer, but I'm trying. Maybe I have a question for you. Brothers, as congregations, as reformed congregations, as FRC, HRC, but with the biblical reformed and also the experiential character, what the Lord has entrusted to us is a great inheritance. And when you are here in Alberta, and when I drove this morning, in the, in this past night I did not see a lot, but this morning, I, uh, this is your world. But continue to pray as congregation that the Lord will raise up young men, Older men, we need to both, eh? not only young men, also people with experience. Uh, the world speaks about second career people. I, I, I'm the example. Second, I don't believe in second careers. The Lord prepares you for something. That the Lord will raise up a next generation that, that can carry this biblical reformed experiential character of theology into this world. And that is beyond Alberta. And that is beyond Monarch. And beyond Pixiboot and Calgary. Brothers, in this world, there are places 
of it's the reformed faith, there is a complete revival going on. Take, for example, the Spanish-speaking world. The number of inquiries we get from the Spanish-speaking world that begin, that begin to embrace the Reformed teachings, and particularly what purity reform stands for, is incredible. So pray that the Lord will raise up men for ministry, but not just thinking about yourself. And yes, of course, I agree with Brother Overdown that every pulpit is, 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 is occupied, is that the Lord called men to those pulpits uh, in North America, in, in, in the federations. But there's a crying need for the gospel in this world. I mean, if I have 10 MDiv students that can start tomorrow in South America in 10 churches, because there are no pastors. China, the Chinese-speaking world, if I have 10 or 20, they have a place tomorrow. The Arabic-speaking world, there is a revival going on in the Arabic-speaking world. There's a crying need. And yes, maybe this is all unthinkable in your context. But ask the Lord to raise up men for ministry, but not just for yourself. Because there's a crying need in this world for the gospel. And on this note, I don't know how much time I want to end If we are really now convinced, eh, by grace, this is the biblical reformed experiential theology that we embrace. That, that by grace we have experienced in our hearts. Brothers, we cannot keep that for ourselves. We cannot keep that for ourselves. And, and, and I know there is great value of having a strong community. Maybe like this. I don't know your congregation. To have a, a stability. There's so much value in that. Also for our children that, that there is in fact an anchor in this world. And that is called church community. Because we live in an incredible individualistic world. But having said that that you also continue to pray to have this vision, this global vision, that the Lord will raise up, but not just for our own, say, uh, communities, but far beyond. And maybe you think, ah, I don't know the languages, I don't know this, I don't know that. If you're called by the Lord, the Lord will equip you. And therefore, I really thank you that you came this morning. I cannot convince you, I cannot convert you. But I can testify. And that is something that, that I see in purity reformed that the Lord is working. To have this global vision. To call men to ministry, to preach the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, we cannot keep that for ourselves.
continue to pray and that we may look forward to the day that we see men coming. Maybe they struggle now. They don't know the way. But come alongside. Come alongside. And then uh, if purity reforms can be of use for that, ask the Lord as well that we can be of help. Thank you. Okay, let us pray. Lord, we to do at the close of this morning meeting, this beautiful day that thou have given us, that also the bright sun may remind us of the sun of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we thank thee for these brothers that came out in this early morning, and that they have not listened to the words of men, but to the calling of thee, to call men into thy service, to be of service to the church, the academy, teaching, preaching, pastoring. So Lord, will remember us in thy mercy, will pour out thy spirit among us once again. Shine upon us, and that we may go forward to proclaim the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that only name by which we must be saved. And so, Lord, remember each of this, these men that came this morning and listened online, watched online, work in their hearts that we may come alongside with those that are called to ministry those that struggle with the call be near to them make it clear for them that they may see this is the way walk ye in it God be with our brothers also here in the ministry uh, emeritus and the new incoming generation, bless them richly. Bless them richly. Continue thy work in their souls, that in due time, each time they come in the pulpit, that the congregation may see they have been with Jesus. And so bless the Monarch congregation, bless the Picture Butte congregation, the Calgary congregation, in all their needs, be near to them, that it also in numbers may grow, that thou will bring people that have not heard of the gospel, come to church, and that also these congregations are a testimony of thy grace, also in this part of the world. We commend them. Be with us in the furthest of this day. Grant grace to continue to walk in thy ways. Keep us away from sin. And will bring us tomorrow to church, the Shabbat, to rest. To rest in thy word and to rest 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. To pause for a moment in the business of life. And to listen what thou hast to say to each of us. And we pray these things in the forgiveness of our sins and shortcomings. But we take refuge in that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. We pray it in his name. Amen. Have a good day. Enjoy the day.